Hello and welcome to England Unmasked, the podcast dedicated exclusively to England that will help you through the Euros, which the three Lions will hope to win on July the 11th under the Wembley Arch. I'm Dom Smith. And I'm Luke Edwards. Blimey, that was... If an England game is easy to watch, and it never is, that was it, wasn't it? What happened, Dom? I was washing my hair. <laughs> no, it was well, great. Um, Gareth Southgate said before the game that playing in the Stadio Olimpico was like playing in a theatre, and it was certainly a, a show-stopping performance. It would have got a standing ovation, the roses being thrown and everything, wouldn't it? I thought the goals came at brilliant moments, and of course, you can't possibly choose when your goals come, and especially in a game as that's traditionally supposed to be as tight as a European Championship quarter-final. But, it, you know, England settled the nerves in the first half early on and settled the nerves with that assurance goal pretty much instantly after half-time. So, you know, a lot of the people I was watching with weren't even in the room when, it, when we uh, scored our second. So uh, that shows how prompt in England were being, how punctual. It was a fantastic day. Yeah, everyone was a bit confident but apprehensive, wasn't they? But you, you spoke to Jordan, uh, Jordan Pickford earlier in the week about it, didn't you? I did. I spoke to Jordan Pickford about um, his England career so far and about the Germany match, which, of course, is the reason why England were here playing in Rome against Ukraine in the first place. Let's, let's hear what Pickford had to say. First of all, you haven't uh, conceded for England since that Dries Mertens free kick for Belgium back in November. This is currently your longest run without having conceded for England. Do you feel that you're in as good form for England right now as you've ever been? Yeah, um, I feel like I'm in good form and in a good place. So for me, it's just about being consistent and um, keeping them levels high and just keep performing for England and keeping them clean sheets is always a bonus. And I just want to touch on the Germany win as well. Um, for you personally, um, where does that rank in terms of career highlights for you in an England shirt? Obviously, there was the Columbia penalty shootout win, which you were very involved in. Your, your first tournament clean sheet against Sweden, the match against Switzerland in the Nations League, and then the Spain game where you were actually involved in a couple of the goals. So uh, where does the Germany game rank? Yeah, it's got to be a gr great memory for us, you know, um, especially at Wembley with all the fans in. In the atmosphere, you just got to take that in, you know. Um, them them uh, days, you know, games against Germany at home at Wembley in a major tournament, you don't get many of them, so you've got to enjoy the moment. But, you know, it's a quick turnaround and focused on Ukraine. But I think when I look back at the end of my career, it'll be a good memory for me. Great chat with Jordan Pickford, as always. And, of course, the man who's masterminded all this was Gareth Southgate. And... Some of the criticisms aimed at him is he's a failed Middlesbrough manager, he's a science teacher, PE teacher, he's not good enough. Somebody who knows him really, really well and worked with him when he was up in the North East is columnist and author Johnny Nicholson. I caught up with him earlier in the week to get his thoughts on Southgate and the Ukraine game. So joining me now, I have a columnist from football365.com, a various author and a big Middlesbrough fan who, of course, has experienced Gareth Southgate as their manager, so... Let's speak to him now. It is John Nicholson. Hi, John. Hi, mate. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, uh, great, thanks. And, and first of all, I mean, um, it's been great actually watching an England team do well in a tournament, albeit we'll get on to the, the style of football and what people make of it in a minute. But is, isn't it great just to see a team doing well and being together and well-organised? Oh, it's absolutely brilliant, man. I mean, people have short memories. There's a lot of recency bias in football. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen England struggle so many times over the years. To see them not struggle 
It's a marvellous thing. I mean, you know, you don't have to be any age at all to remember, you know, 2010 World Cup, how awful that was, 2014, you know, everything. It's just, so, yeah, it's brilliant. I can't see why anybody can't embrace the joy in it. It puzzles me. I think people must like being miserable. It's worryingly comfortable, though, at times, isn't it? That's the, <laughs> that's the worry. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, that is great credit to Gareth, I think, really. He's made it seem easier than it really is, you know? We, we know how difficult it is for England for lots of different reasons. But, you know, anybody that can smooth out the wrinkles the way he has, he's got some talent, man, I'll tell you. Yeah, well, as I say, you're a Middlesbrough fan and his first managerial job was at Middlesbrough. Didn't quite go as well as planned. And, and you keep hearing from critics, oh, it failed the Middlesbrough manager. I mean, I know you've written a lot of columns about him and how actually you didn't think he did that bad a job at Middlesbrough. No, I mean, this is an interesting thing. It is a narrative that's got around that somehow... Gareth was a complete disaster. Um, he spent, he took over from McLaren, uh, who went to England. And this was just after our great European adventures where we got to the UEFA Cup final. We'd had a really good team, but we'd had a really expensive team and we'd gone 90 million quid in the hole. So Steve Gibson had to sell out loads of the great players that we had, like Hasselbank and, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of other less great players, but who were still really good for Middlesbrough, like Rockenbach who was uh, built like a brick outhouse. And uh, he, was, he was a marvellous player, even though not actually good, but tremendous fun. And um, so uh, Gareth took over, basically, a diminished squad. And in his first season, he finished 12th. And in his second season, he finished 13th. So the very definition of mid-table, really. And um, which is not really what people like to think about. It. They like to remember the third season, which is when we got relegated. Now, we got relegated largely because... He had to play a very diminished squad. And even good players like Lee Catamore were sold off. So, you know, he got, yeah, we went down a division, but Middlesbrough would have been in the top right for 11 years, which is fairly unprecedented for the Borough. So, you know, we're one of those clubs that does go down occasionally. Um, and I don't think that is really anything to be ashamed of or anything. And, you know, better managers than Gareth have been relegated, put it that way. Mm. So we started off the new season in the Championship. We were one point off the top, we were fourth, and that's when he got the sack. Now, I'm not making claims that he was absolutely brilliant, but he wasn't that bad. He really wasn't that bad. And he was spoken of very highly by everybody involved. Um, it was just at this, it was like obviously 2011. And it was just at a time when the, the notion of what a manager could be was changing, I think. Um, it, there was still a sort of vague kind of idea that a manager was just somebody who shouted at people until his eyes bled and uh, and you did what you what you wanted or or, or you, you know you didn't play for him. Gareth was always more empathetic. He was always more in tune with how players felt. And uh he went on to have a lot of success at the <coughs> excuse me, England in the twenty ones. And you know, so I think his career isn't it's not a stellar career to date, but there is you can see the progress that he made and you could see the seeds what we see now were always there with him he's always been very articulate very measured uh, those things are very out of fashion mm. amongst some football fans but I think are the very things that are needed now more than ever you know it's often said you can't shout at a multi-millionaire to motivate him you've got to do something else and I think he's found a way to do that yeah I think there's this conception that an England manager should be tub-thumping, shouting, jumping up and down. And, and like you say, having everyone 
beating everyone 6-0 every week. And, and that's not the case. All right, the, the football could have been better in this tournament slightly, but they've been well organised and he's calm, methodical. And you speak to the players and you take them at face value and they absolutely love him because we've spoken about in this podcast before. He doesn't suffer fools gladly, but he's not going to rant and rave either. He's got that way of talking to him, almost like a father, isn't he? Yeah. What he reminds me of is the teacher at school who you wanted to impress and you didn't want to upset. You know, if you'd said, I'm very disappointed, John, you would really feel it. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like that, isn't he, really? You know, he sets a standard. And if you don't come up to it, then he's going to be disappointed. That You know, this isn't, you know, I mean, I get attacked all the time for being some sort of perceived to be woke or some other dreadful fucking word. But it's just—it isn't that. It's just about treating people empathetically. Treat them like men. Treat them like sentient beings who are motivated by many and different, varied things. And just shouting at them what doesn't doesn't work. Sven used to get this all the time. Do you remember? Yeah. He used to get slagged yeah. off in the press for not being passionate enough um, because he would sit there on the bench and not do anything. And I always thought it was absolutely ridiculous that because yeah. you know you're standing on the touchline bellowing until your eyes come out of your head. They can't hear you above yeah. seventy thousand people. Exactly. Ooh, I always think that. Did you some just shout for shouting sake? I think. I mean, you do all your talking in the dressing room, don't you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was looking at it last season. Um, I was looking at David Moyes. Um, I was remembering when he was at um, Manchester United, and he used to stand on that touchline looking like he was peering into the bowels of hell, fear in his eyes, yelling just to try and placate the fear that was rising in him. And I thought, that's not what you want. You want somebody who looks like they have not completely lost their shit, mm. who might still have a clue and be thinking about this, you know? It's it's silly, really. I think, I, to be honest, I wrote about that this week. Uh, I think Southgate challenges some men's perception of, mm. A, what a manager should be like, and perhaps more profoundly and widely what a man should be like. And uh, they don't like it. They don't like this touch of feely business and being thoughtful and, Intelligent sense if it sets a standard they don't want to have to compete with to be thought of as successful, so they have to slag him off, you know. Yeah, but the thing, the great thing about him is he's two steps ahead of all of this. I mean, he knows just like all of us do who spend a lot of time in and around football. We, you know, like when I write something, I know what the responses are going to be, you know, I, I because I've done it for 20 years, so of course I know what the responses are going to be. People think. Oh, you know, I'll get at him with a, a wissy, pithy comment or I'll have an alternative take on it. But I've already thought about all of that. Mm. Not because I'm super brainy, just because I've done it for ages. And there's only a small range of responses that are largely available. He's just the same in the England job. He knows what he's, you know, like he said, if that lineup that he, he picked for the last game had failed, it would have been dead. Because, you know, it would have been like, what have you done? You picked stupid lineups, Southgate, you know? But he knew that already. So it's not a surprise. So I think. You know, the overarching sense of control he emits is an incredibly positive one. And I think that's what frustrates people too. Yeah. And like you say, I think the media have kind of backed off a little bit on him. I think they thought it was a soft touch. But like you say, because he's almost two steps ahead, he's almost waiting. If something happens, he knows what the answer is going to be. And he can't be tripped up and he's not somebody who's going to go out and be involved in a sex scandal or anything like that. So I think in a way, it does displease the media that they haven't got any dirt on him because there literally won't be any dirt on him, will there? But he also knows if something is brewing, how to handle it. Yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, it's not obviously, you know, he doesn't get absolutely everything right, but but, you know, nobody ever does. But he is... A very thoughtful person, and he spends his time well, I think, considering his positions on things. 
Interestingly, I know that people do say that the press has given him an easy ride, as though the press is obliged to give everybody a hard ride. Mm. Um, uh, I think that that might be for two reasons. I think it's largely true, but I think about it for two reasons. One is that he is incredibly charming and personable doesn't make enemies easily. So he's very clubbable in that sense, I think. They get what they want from him. So that always helps. But I think also, if it's not Southgate as the manager, who is it? Because mm. in the past, they've always had a preferred candidate, haven't they? Um, there's always, you know, they've always got their Allardyce they want to get, you know, they want their man in the job. But now, if it's not Southgate, who is it? Mm. And it's harder to say, you know? And so, you know... It's like there's a line from an Eagles song, The Last Resort, it says, uh, there is no more new frontier. We've got to make it here. And I really think that's true, Southgate. Like, this is it, man. This is, you know, we've got to make this work. And so far, he's making it work really well, you know? And I think it's tremendous. I mean, I wouldn't surprise me if we lost to Ukraine at all. <laughs> but, you know, because if football's football, it, it, weird things happen. But, you know, I, I think a semi-final and a quarter-final or two semi-finals, that's, that's good, man. You know, that's good. That's better than we've ever done. So, you know, long may it continue. That, uh, yeah, I agree with that. It's one of these. I mean, I, I felt nervous during this tournament because I felt nervous for him because, you know, one slip up and it's more the uh, the Twitter army, the Twitter experts, isn't it? The man on the street, the man in the white van, he'll be giving him pelt. <laughs> but we can see, I think a lot of people in the media and people who sit down and look at it can see the bigger picture, can see, He's almost building for Qatar as well and really have a team that can yeah. go and dominate for the next 10 years. Yeah, it's interesting. Somebody made a really funny comment the other day on Twitter. Said, I can't believe Terry, the plasterer from Basildon, got one wrong. <laughs> that was brilliant, you know, <laughs> because, you know, that's what it is. It, it, these people have, you know, amplified voices on social media. And, uh, you know, I think we live, uh, I'm as guilty as this as absolutely anybody is. I'm as guilty as taking. Uh, what you read on Twitter as the general opinion. And I think that is a dangerous position to get into because more considered people tend not to be shouting very loudly about anything. And Twitter is all about shouting loudly, isn't it? So, you know, it's um, it's it's a danger to think that is too much of a, a kind of, your bubble is everybody's bubble when it, it really isn't. Finally, John, I mean, do you think it can come home and, and whatever happens, I presume you, you, you're still back in Southgate, whatever happens on Saturday? Yeah. Absolutely, I am, whatever happens. I, I really, you know, just from a personal basis, I really love the idea that we have somebody who isn't a massive blowhard as an England manager. I really love it. I think it's... We've got an adult in charge, haven't we? Yeah, that's it. It absolutely is the adult in charge of the play group. Uh, and I think that is good for the country. I really do. I think it's good for the vibe to think, well, you know, whatever happens, I think where well, he did his best, you know, and he was taught, he was nice and but everything, nobody died. Everything's fine, you know? And that's one of my great phrases in life is nobody went to jail, nobody died, we're still ahead. And I still think that's what it is. You know, he's, and the, the FA aren't going to sack him. Now, whatever happens, uh, he's going to take us to Qatar. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think after Qatar, he'll probably want to do something else. But, I mean, I've watched football since 1966 um, and I've seen every England game, either in person or on TV, except for one in 2004 when I was trapped on an Amtrak in the middle of the Nevada desert. <laughs> but um, I don't remember it ever being this good. I really mean that. I don't think it was ever this good. Mm. Never this controlled and this calm. Um, we are playing like the teams that used to beat us used to play, which wasn't fantastic football. It was just rational, mm. calm, didn't panic. 
I grew up watching Tony Adams running around like a lunatic. In 20, 1988, you're too young to remember it, but 1988, when we lost all three games at the Euros, which is when Holland won it, they were ripped apart time and time again. It was pathetic. It was really pathetic. And I remember thinking at the time, like, these were our best players and they were made to look like jokers. Doesn't happen now. Doesn't happen. You know, you've got to keep perspective on things. The, the only one good thing about getting older is that you've seen a lot mm. and you have a perspective because of that, or some people do, some people are bloody idiots. But what it does, if you remember the way things were, they are not like they are now. That was then, it's not now. And I think that's a brilliant thing, you know. I never thought I would see this. So, you know, never see a sort of controlled, rational way to play with a plan, thinking about the opponents before each game, not just trying to say, well, we play... 4-2-2, four, four, two, two. we're just going to play that. We'll just if do we play that. the England way, we'll win. Yeah, that's right. Just We'll just out-physical out them, as Glenn Holland used to say. <laughs> and, um, uh, and it's not like that. And I, as I say, I just thought we were stuck in this terrible rut that we used to always be in throughout my whole life, really, especially since 1970. And, and we're not. And I think people who are critical of Southgate perhaps don't fully appreciate that. Uh, and, and how profound that change he's instilled is, you know? Well, we'll leave it there. John, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a, it's been really great chatting to you. Okay, man. Nice to speak to you. Take care. Yeah, really interesting chat with Johnny Nicholson there. I thought some of his insights were fantastic. But of course, he, he made the joke about Ukraine maybe going and, uh, and, and beating England. They didn't, did they? Uh, England, in the end, did a very professional job. Yeah, it was... Um, we, before the Germany game, I was really nervous, sweating everything... Today I just felt really chilled out and I was quite worried that I was too relaxed about it and I did start to feel nervous before the game. The early goal settled it um, and then it was almost a case of did England score too early because for the next 10-15 minutes Ukraine were probably the better side and then they had the drinks break, didn't they, which seemed to come at the right time really and, and it just allowed England to settle again. And then again, you're thinking the missed chances cost them. Right at that really good shot, well saved. Sancho probably should have scored his. Uh, but then the second half, again, really early goal. What a header from Harry Maguire. And then two really quick fire goals just basically popped the Ukraine balloon, didn't it? Yeah. England, of course, scoring three headers as well, which um, will please Southgate, and especially the ones from set pieces, because... England utilised set pieces very well in the last World Cup. I think they scored 12 goals in that tournament and nine of them came either straight away or from second phase set pieces. And uh, so far, England hadn't scored from one, but they, they, they managed to get goals from the Maguire. The Maguire header was, of course, from a Luke Shaw free kick and the uh, the Henderson first England goal was from... Uh, was from uh, the Mason Mount corner as well, wasn't it? You're a good luck charm. You asked me about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, I, I like to like to think I played my part there. <laughs> um, obviously, I, I spoke to uh, Henderson a, couple, a week or so ago about the goal which he had disallowed against the Czech Republic in the group stage, and he said, it's coming, I can feel it. And uh, it was, wasn't it? Clearly mm. it was. The fourth of England's goals was was Henderson. He looked he looked so over, you know, overawed with emotion. He looked uh, ecstatic, didn't he? Yeah, what was brilliant to see as well was after the first goal, the way England popped the ball around. Some of the football was superb, wasn't it? It was certainly the best performance of the tournament. I know you tweeted and said, is it the best England performance ever? I mean, I'm a bit older than you, Dom, so I remember 1996 in Holland and, of course, 2002 against Denmark. They were really dominant performances in what was a pretty... Well, 1996 was good, but 2002 was a very sort of 
Mm. But the amount of tweets I keep seeing from people saying how calm and assuring this tournament is, and people are like really kind of surprised and shocked, and should we be shocked anymore? Well, I think a lot of people would like to see England coming from like two na- two nil down or something and winning these games three two and things like that. But ultimately, if you play the kind of football which allows for that, you do risk in the end you know going out of the tournament by virtue of having accidentally conceded more goals than you score in a certain game England aren't allowing that because they've they've shut the door they're the first team in Euros history to keep five clean sheets in their opening five games of a tournament defensive work at one end is is vital for winning you tournaments but so so are goals and that's what England had lacked early on in this tournament now they've got their biggest ever win at the Euros uh, replacing the 4-1 thrashing of Holland at Euro 96 and um, their second biggest ever win at a tournament, second only to the 6-1 mauling of Panama uh, in the 2018 World Cup, which was also under Southgate's management. So, you know, this England team are are breaking records all the time. Mm. And and I was very impressed by another really assured display. And uh, actually, you know, England had scored three goals by the 50th minute. I mean, that's, that, that's something which we haven't seen from this England team for, for a good while, and especially in, in a tournament. So it was nice mm. to see that the goals were, were coming, and I didn't think that they were really necessarily from Ukraine's errors. I thought England genuinely scored their goals tonight, that they weren't handed any of them. Mm. Um, I think that's credit to, to, the, to the team, really. Yeah, I mean, I saw a few comments about Ukraine's defending wasn't great, but I mean, you got to credit the delivery from set pieces. The crossing was great. And also, England wore navy blue shorts to go with a white short shirt. It just looks so much better than the all-white kit that they sometimes wear. Um, so hopefully they'll keep on with that. But England have won 10 games in a tournament, knockout games, and Southgate's won four of those. Wow, that, that says all you need to know. You know... Ultimately, it comes down to can you get the better of the key moments in matches? Southgate's England seem to be able to to get over the line at, at, at key moments. And actually, the game against Ukraine is is maybe a bad example because England was so good. There was no need to, to get the better of the moments because in the end, they scored four goals and conceded zero. And they were passing it around at the back from the 65th minute onwards, which is... Uh, a massive compliment to the football that they played before that. And, and I thought Sancho and Sterling uh, and Mount were, were, were really big parts of that. I thought Phillips had a good game going, for, uh, you know, in terms of speeding up play. I was very, um, very is an exaggeration. I was slightly disappointed in the March uh, international break when, of course, Henderson was was out injured and uh, Phillips was played played in all three of those games. And I thought he slowed down England's attack. I, I was very happy for him to be playing in the England team but I thought that he was actually slowing down England's England's play. But in this tournament, he's done the opposite. He, he's helped England play at speed and he sped them up when, when they, they start to look sluggish. And I thought he did that again superbly. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Sancho as well. First minutes of the tournament, first start of the tournament. And we didn't really see him for the first 10, 15 minutes, but once he got going, he was really, really good, wasn't he? And again, it's another good headache for Southgate. Well, you, you look at previous England managers, who would have chucked in a player who hadn't played, well, you, I think he played six minutes and plus stoppage time against the Czech Republic. So who would have, who would have played someone with, with so few minutes? 
in a, a World Cup quarterfinal and chucked them in from the start uh, uh, for a reason other than other than injuries and being forced to do such a thing. You know, knowing the manager would have been one would have done that, mm. and especially with a player that young. You remember, remember, like Sancho is what twenty one, I think. Mm. Um, so that's that's really a brave management. But really, England can afford to do that now because the players they've got are of such a high quality and such a high caliber. You look at the amount of money that Manchester United have just paid for this player. He came on and um, for, you know came into the starting lineup for this game, and I thought he was he's very very good. Mm. Moved the ball speedily, and um, which he hasn't always done for England. He's not always um, recreated mm. his Dortmund form for England, has he? I think that was his best game in an England shirt tonight. Well, I, I worry that actually um, England games aren't always set up for Sancho, and that, that might be me giving you know any anyone listening to this who thinks maybe I'm giving him too much of an excuse. I, I, I understand your perspective, you know, I do get that. But Dortmund play very counter-attacking and he really is suited to that. And England games don't really lend themselves to counter-attacks because there's in international football, there's always a, a there's there's almost always a certain favourite whenever you have a football match. And England tend to be the favourite in whichever game you're talking about. So they'll be the team dominating the ball and it's maybe lends itself more to a Foden or a Grealish type of player um, rather than a Sancho. But but actually, you know, even though it, Ukraine played quite deep. I thought Sancho really went at them today and, and a lot of his tackles, uh, sorry, a lot of his dribbles came off, you know. And you mentioned Foden and Grealish there, the fact that they were on the bench and didn't even get on shows you the strength and depth at the minute, doesn't it? It does, it does. It does show you that. And uh, Rashford came on and, and did pretty well. And he, what, what I love about this is that the, the ability of the starting players to score so many goals early on meant that meant that England could ring the changes 55 minutes in and get minutes for players who haven't had too many minutes and and also save the players who are England's most important and the players who were on yellow cards and were risking suspension and then the which now are, roll over which, which are now nullified aren't they so Exactly, exactly. That they're all sort of cancelled now, which is brilliant. Which means we've got no suspensions because I don't think anyone picked up a yellow card in this game, actually, from memory. Um, but Rashford, who came on, is a good example of why substitutes and having a, a, a like a deep squad can be so beneficial later in this in these tournaments. Rashford came on, and he's got something to prove. He, for his own personal career, is desperate to start in this semi final now, and he probably won't do. But but he knows that, so he's desperate to get on and make an impact. Comes on, and uh, at almost every opportunity that he, ha- that he had, he ran at their right back. He really did, and it, and he looked to force a few corners. It's great to have that energy and that appetite from all the players, the players who are starting and the players who are replacing them. And that again comes down to the manager, doesn't it? He's he's built almost that club spirit, as in they have to, you know, they have to sort in and a lot of it again is to do with training. I think you mentioned one of the earlier pods that when Southgate was asked about Sancho, he said, Well, he's trained well a couple of days this week, as in he's not trained well the last week. Yeah. Um, but when he was asked about Sancho's inclusion this evening, he said he's trained well for the past week, which means you've got to impress every single minute. And I heard Matthew Upson say it's not just on the training pitch, it's how you conduct yourself around the squad as well. And then Southgate's a big believer in that. And they're not just great, great squad. They're great people, aren't they? Well, what, we we know that England have got some really high tech analytics teams behind them, and a lot of tactical 
decisions are made, you know, many weeks, months, often years before these games ever come. The teams working underneath England, people won't even have heard of the people doing them, but they're doing such high tech work. Um, England as, an, as the national team has the best analytics department of any national team on this planet. So they should be getting good results. And, and actually, Southgate should maybe be, you know, arguably, you could, you could say that Southgate should be making his changes even more based on what the analytics nerds up in their office drinking their monster. No, I'm not, it's not like that. It's not like video games. But um, yeah, what, what they email to him in terms of files. But I think Southgate as a disciplinarian, you know, we, we know that his grandfather really shaped him, who was, um, I think he, he was either in the Navy or the Army, I can't remember. But um you know, Southgate is really impacted by how someone conducts themselves, as you say, around the place and how 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 hard, hard they go into training in terms of intensity, how much they look like they want it. And things like that are, are really important to Southgate. And, and clearly Sancho has upped his game in those kinds of departments in the last 10 days or so. And you know, I when I heard that he that there's there might have been murmurs that he was going to be starting, I liked that idea, and I, and I and I actually thought after England beat Germany that Sancho would be an ideal starter for Ukraine, but I batted down the idea because I didn't think it was going to happen. You know, in a similar way, I would have liked Luke, uh, I would have liked Ben Chilwell to at least get some game time tonight. I, I really thought that that if England had the game wrapped up, he could come on, and I was a little bit upset to see Trippier come on because he's had minutes at this tournament, and he isn't a left back where where Chilwell is. But so I'm not quite sure what the story is there. But with Sancho's inclusion, in the end, he vindicated it because he played uh, you know exceptionally well and, and moved England forward at moments where they sometimes looked a just a little bit slow but but actually in general this was an England performance that was anything but slow and the the moments in this game where England were sluggish was when they were 4-0 up and that's that's been different to this tournament where England were in games and they needed a goal and they were still sluggish but but this was not a game to to look back on and wonder what more England could have done because they they did take risks and they paid off. You mentioned the analysts then. I mean, it's Denmark in the semi-finals. What, what do you think they'll uh, they'll be looking at now to, to unlock that Danish defence? Denmark pose a big threat to England. And, you know, I, I'm aware that Harry Maguire's sending off very early on was one of the reasons why England lost that game. And the penalty that was given, which allowed Christian Eriksen's winner in that match, was never, ever, ever a penalty. But, um, you know, that match aside, England should win against Denmark. I don't necessarily know if they will. And I think it will be a very tight game and one which almost certainly will go to extra time. England are a more capable side than Denmark. What I would say about Denmark is that they've shown that they can play in multiple ways. And as soon as you can do that in international football, you're onto a winner. We saw England changing to a back three against Germany and then swapping back. That that kind of adaptability is really important in international football. With, with Ericsson, Denmark were playing 4-4-3. Uh, sorry, 4-3-3. Now they're playing 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 sometimes. And th- th- that ability to switch has, you know, really impressed a lot of people at this tournament because they've scored a lot of goals. Uh, and they've looked... They've got Mailer. What, what a player Mailer is, by the way. Yeah, I was, I was literally about to sound check him there. I, I thought he was name checking rather. I thought he was uh, fantastic against the Czech Republic. I was watching it just before the England game and and that cross in, you know, mm. p- people talking about 
right-footed uh, players at left back. He, he, he's a fantastic player. So if England can, nu- can nullify their threats from the wings, and actually all of their goals come from the wings, and, and win the midfield battle uh, versus, uh, who is it, Delaney and Hoybier, I think. And that's not an easy one, by the way. If you, if you, if you put Phillips and, and Rice next to Delaney and Hoybier, I wouldn't say our, uh, our two are, are, are too much better than those. If England can win those battles, they should get through. But you know, there's not a lot of a turn. There's not a lot of time to turn around after this Ukraine win. Looking forward to Wednesday, and I do worry for England in that game. Yeah, the pros and cons are obviously the pros are Denmark are, are playing for Christian Eriksen still, aren't they? So they've got that sort of wave behind them. Equally, the um, for Denmark, they looked tired at the end of the game. It was really hot in Baku. So they they suffered. They've got to travel back from Baku. And also England are at home and there'll be even more fans. I think there'll be 60,000 there on Wednesday, won't there? So they'll have the, the big home advantage. Crowd will be right behind them as well. That that could make a massive difference. It didn't, it, just as it would if Denmark were playing in Copenhagen, for example. I think so. I think Denmark were helped very much in the group stage. I know they only ended up winning one of the games, but I thought they were helped very much by the, the support that they had in Copenhagen and... Uh, and I thought that even even early on in the game, before Christian Eriksen's you know cardiac arrest and that, I, I was still very struck by how fervent and, and loud the Danish support was, and a lot of that, a lot of them will be coming over into the into the game on Wednesday, and, and they'll be at Wembley. But on the other hand, the majority of the support will be England's, and that can that can only be a good thing. I, I do worry for England coming from a goal behind in this tournament. Will we see it, and and what will things be like if that does happen but you know they haven't looked like going a goal behind in any of their games yet I I accept that they haven't played a Belgium or a Portugal or a France but you know those teams are out now so well you'd like to think if you do go behind that you will see a good attacking play like we saw this evening I think it will open up the game a bit more I mean the main tactic's been to stay in the game and hit teams but uh, I think they knew they pressure Ukraine high tonight and they got the early goal it just gave him so much control in that game, didn't it? And um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Denmark won't go away, as I say. And again, it could be a one 0 but hey, it doesn't matter as long as he gets through. Yeah, absolutely. That, that that's the main objective is for this England team to go one foot one step further than they did in in Russia. And I, I love the professionalism that Gareth Southgate has installed into this England team. You know, he, he says that he he described himself as the party pooper after the Germany game, going into the dressing room and uh, and explaining that England have got a lot of work to do before the Ukraine game. But but he also mentioned that his players do that anyway, that they were instantly talking about the following game. And Harry Maguire post-match, uh, you know, against Ukraine was saying, um, now we've got to we've got to look at, at beating Denmark because we'll never forgive ourselves if we if we don't go and beat that semi-final that we did in Russia. These players buy into that professionalism and that sort of it's always the next game that's the priority, and you know at least it's that way round. At mm. least it's the, at least it's the England fans who are getting ahead of themselves and the players who are sticking to their to their jobs, not letting their emotions overcome them. Yes, we've heard from a lot of England players that they struggle to sleep after England wins, and I and I don't don't begrudge them that. But it's good that the that the following morning when they wake up, you know that they're back to work mm-hmm. and they're back committed to the job, and and I think that can that can only stand England in good stead as they look to 
play what is the, going to be the biggest match of a lot of their lives. And what was good as well was it put together, put to bed the myth that um, when I haven't played a game away in the tournament yet, how will they cope? It's going to be hard. They've got this, they've got that. And it was it was almost like... Um, it was almost like uh, it was good that they played in Rome after that Germany game because there weren't as many England fans there. The expectation, especially against Ukraine, if it had been at Wembley, would have been high and it might have been a bit more frustrating for them. Um, now against Denmark, I think people will understand if there's not an early goal and I think people will stay patient with them. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a really, really interesting game. And it means we'll get to do one more podcast at least. It will, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Let's hope when we do it, it'll be a positive one and we won't be sort of banging our head against various walls and tables and hard objects. <laughs> from me, Dom Smith, for the moment, it's goodbye. And for me, Luke Edwards, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>